Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. Hi, Mindy. Hey, Jen. It's been a while since just the two of us had had a chance to chat about healthcare news. Yeah, and there has certainly been a lot of it, right? It's been great to have all of these guests on recently, but I've realized that, you know, quite a few months have gone by and there have been so many headlines when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act that the two of us really haven't had a chance to catch up and talk through what all of this means. Yeah, I mean, this piece of legislation, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say outside of the Affordable Care Act that was passed back in 2010, I think that this piece of legislation is a really significant piece of legislation that will have outsized impacts on all stakeholders in the health industry. I know we're spending a lot of time, right, hearing and reading headlines around its impact on life sciences. And undoubtedly, probably a majority of the provisions that we see in here and in this legislation will have some immediate impact over the next couple of years. But I don't want it to get lost, right, in the fact that this legislation is really, really vast. It touches things like climate control, taxation, and then within the health industry, it does touch other sectors and players within the industry outside of life sciences. So lots to talk about when it comes to this piece of legislation. And we, for a while, we're just kind of waiting to see with bated breath how it might play itself out when the initial provisions were set to go into action. And now we're past that first mile marker, if you will. And I think it's time to start spending some time really talking about what it means and how does it potentially show up in the industry and what are our clients talking about and thinking through right now as they try to navigate through the next you know, six or seven years of these provisions playing themselves out. For a quick recap, I think the last time we had talked about the Inflation Reduction Act on the podcast was looking at those life sciences drug manufacturers who were entering into litigation against the legislation or to try to slow or halt the legislation potentially. Since then, there have been a lot of, to your point, milestones when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act. It celebrated its first birthday. We had the first list of 10 drugs that will be on the negotiation list. And we had all of the manufacturers agree to enter into negotiations. Even those manufacturers who are currently pursuing legal action against the legislation and the agencies within the government that are enacting legislation. Yeah, but I don't think they really had much choice. I mean, if we think about the Medicare market and we think about what's going on in Medicare, right? We're at a, an inflection point in this program where more seniors are aging in over the next seven years than we will have ever seen in the program itself. So the consequence of not negotiating was so big that I don't think there was any choice for manufacturers, but to be willing to negotiate. I think the key is going to be what kind of data package do they share with HHS and the CMS, right? As they go into negotiation that tells the value story of their particular product. So there's a lot of nuance here 
behind this negotiation, but I think at its surface, you as a manufacturer either had to agree or just risk losing a really large share of the market. And that is across all of your products, not just the product that was targeted for negotiation. And I think that's something we all need to be just really cognizant of. You have these manufacturers and industry lobbying groups that are challenging things legally, but they also have to play nice right now in the sandbox as the wheels of the justice system turn. And we see what, if any, shifts are made to the policy as a result of decisions being made in the judicial system. In other news, when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act, like we're going to talk probably a lot about manufacturers, but I don't want to discount what's going on in the payer arena as well with health plans, right, that represent Medicare with their Part B and Part C Medicare Advantage programs and plans that they bring to market. And just the fact that there are provisions in this legislation that also speak directly to some of the things that plans will need to do, such as redesigning their Medicare Part D program, you know, contending with the fact that there is a provision in there that also caps out-of-pocket liability for members of their plan from dropping from $7,000 down to $2,000 a year. And what those things mean to an organization that needs to think about not only how they are going to administer a new redesigned Part D program, but how they actually educate and inform their member bases around what that means when it comes to the IRA and those provisions that are outlined. So it's a lift across the board. I think it's just felt more acutely because of the headline and headlines that we have seen, right, that really call out the fact that the benefit to you and I or like to our loved ones that are stakeholders is that drug pricing is being addressed. It's an easy political headline as well. So I think there's a bunch of reasons why we're talking about manufacturers, but there are also quite a few provisions in there that, that plans need to contend with almost immediately in order to be ready for the next open enrollment period of Medicare in 2024. Yeah, great point, Mindy. This is a huge piece of legislation. I think you talked about at the top, right? It's not just impacting healthcare, of course, but even within healthcare, it's going across multiple sectors in terms of plans and in terms of life sciences. And when we're talking about the impact that we're potentially feeling in the bottom line, when I looked at the numbers from Health and Human Services, when they were coming to this list, they were saying that the drugs that are on this top 10 represent $50.5 billion for Part D spend, which is about 20% or a fifth of the total covered prescription drug costs over mid-2022 to mid-2023. And they think that for those patients, like what were they absorbing? Like that was the Medicare cost. They think they were absorbing up to $3.4 billion out of pocket just for those 10 drugs. So they're hoping that this is a pretty impactful list, but maybe let's just back up a little bit and talk about like what happens now. So we have the list of 10 drugs. We have the manufacturers at the negotiation table with CMS. Where is this going from here in terms of what happens at the end of the negotiation process? And how does this program ramp over the next two to five years? I think if we look even maybe higher up than that and think about what happens over the next 
seven years. Each year, Medicare will identify another set of therapies to target for negotiation. And then by 2027, we start to move beyond Medicare Part D and start to look at some of those higher priced, higher expenditure drugs that would be classified under Medicare Part B, which oftentimes are those biologics and specialty products that we've talked about. So I think this is a starting point for what is going to be the rest of this decade, at least in really opening up the tent to cover even more drugs under the IRA. The 10 drugs that were selected, as you mentioned, they were selected, they had to agree to enter into negotiations. And now it's time, right, over the next couple of months heading into March, where they have opportunity, right, to start to pull together their value story, right, and other elements of the data package that could offer some leverage to actually be in a negotiation with HHS. So by February, Health and Human Services Secretary has to make their initial price offer, And they also have to publish what we're calling that maximum fair price or the MFP for those selected drugs that we keep mentioning. Also by March, HHS has to publish an explanation for all of those maximum fair prices. During that time, we have life sciences manufacturers that will be also really negotiating and offer a counterpoint to what that MFP Maybe. I think there's a lot of discussion about whether this is actually negotiation or whether it is truly a, a capping of sorts. I think we have to see how that plays out. But by 2026, right, life sciences manufacturers of those 10 drugs that were selected back in early September need to prepare that whatever the price is that's been set, that's the price year that all of this begins for them. Yeah, I can see a real importance to that value story. I think we talked about the numbers in terms of what is the gross cost to Medicare when we just look at the drug outlays. But of course, so much more of the value of a drug is not represented by just what the sticker price is, right? I'm sure there's going to be some pretty strong arguments made from manufacturers around, yes, it might cost this for this drug, but when you look at the data in terms of the outcomes and the reduction in hospitalizations and the reduction of higher acuity or higher cost care, this out-of-pocket spend actually looks a little bit better than if you just look at the numbers at face value, what that means. And I wonder if the manufacturers that are in this first round of negotiations are able to gain some insight and learn a little bit faster about how to tell that value story. What is CMS valuing in terms of data points, in terms of narrative to help prepare them for the future years as this list of drugs for negotiation just is only expected to expand? When I think about what this means to manufacturers, right, like this is the first in a series of many negotiations that may go on for an individual company. We've always talked about the importance of having that good health economics and outcomes research and being able to support, right, the data story and the clinical value of a product to align, right, with the investment that needs to be made from a market standpoint. So, I think we can't underscore right, the importance of what data may do in terms of these negotiations and really perfecting that capability over a short period of time. 
I think this plays into a larger theme around how does the IRA really start to show up for manufacturers outside of just a particular product, right? I think there's just more of an umbrella theme here around things that manufacturers likely need to focus on. And I think about the headline of the IRA and the Inflation Reduction Act is more than just pricing and contracting. The way that it is structured and the provisions that are in there and the way that it weaves through providers, payers, and manufacturers kind of begs the question of how we start to think even more strategically about life cycle management through every phase of the life cycle of a product, whether it's a product that's already in market or a product that is coming to market or one that is even, you know, a potential target in your R&D phase. There are so many areas of the life cycle that need to be thought through in the context of what the broader impact of the Inflation Reduction Act could be. Yeah, I think if it's not necessarily changing what are these companies doing, right? They tell these value stories. They go into price negotiations all the time in the commercial space. They're already thinking about life cycle management. For me, when I reflect on it, it really changes the context and it changes the scale of the stakes. When you look at the aging population, when you look at the Medicare population, this is a huge chunk of the patient target demographics for a lot of these life sciences manufacturers. So just the scale of it really ups the ante when it comes to how do I create the most compelling value story? How do I design my clinical trials from the outset to be able to have that data package that I need to enter into not only compelling efficacy and safety demonstration, but value demonstration. And how do I think about life cycle management maybe a little bit earlier on? Because I'm looking at, in some cases, a shorter runway before I'm going to have to negotiate on price versus historically, I might've just been thinking about loss of exclusivity as my main timeline driver. So I think it's just moving the goalposts a little bit and on a pretty big stage. Yeah. And I think maybe amplifies some of the sensitivity around things like asset planning and indication planning and questions you may be asking as you start to think about the markets that these assets may serve. And does the long-term effect of the Inflation Reduction Act start to inform how you may think about sequencing some of these assets if there's a much heavier payer mix that involves Medicare? one asset over another. In addition to the value story, everything just kind of gets amplified a little bit, starting with R&D. And then as you move into launch, what's been curious to me when you read the Inflation Reduction Act is that there really is no language in the legislation that prohibits life sciences manufacturers from almost like clawing forward some of the profits that they make over the life cycle of a product. And so you think about the mile markers for small molecule products that are in part D and that they will have time in market for nine years before they are targeted for negotiation. And for biologics, it's even longer. So while there is no provision or no language in the IRA that prohibits a life sciences manufacturer from pulling forward some of those profits, I think it ties into how you think about going to market with your launch and the pricing approach you may use there. And the headline goes beyond pricing and contracting. 
I don't want to minimize how important the pricing and contracting capability, the effort will be for life sciences manufacturers that either have a product that will be targeted for negotiation and or feel that products in their pipeline rate may be more vulnerable to Medicare negotiation at some point in their life cycle. And so pricing and contracting starts to play even a more significant role than we've already talked about as part of the market access function. And then to your point, Jen, as you get into the maturity and growth phase, there are obviously strategic decisions that need to be made there and moving towards loss of exclusivity, where I think there's some real questions on what the impact of the IRA may be on things like patent thicket and patent practices and additional types of indications that you may add later on in the life cycle of a product. Those all warrant their own types of decisions. But I think the key to all of this is going to be how much it gets integrated through the organization, because to your point, life sciences manufacturers are already doing these things and practicing these efforts. I think the opportunity is how integrated it all becomes when you start to look at an asset in its totality and what the scenarios are that may lead to different strategic decisions in the context of the Inflation Reduction Act, especially as the out years start to take shape over the back half of this decade. I think a lot of the conversation around the Inflation Reduction Act, when you look at potential impact, a lot of the pushback from life sciences companies has been, what does this do to innovation? Do the financial structures in place here actually disincentivize companies from bringing potentially life-saving medicines to patients? You know, will we be able to get the necessary return on our investment to justify the risk and the huge investment required to bring a therapy to market? But knowing healthcare, that can't be the only consequence. Everything is so interrelated. So I'm curious from your perspective, Mindy, like what other unintended consequences or potential quirks do you see coming out of the Inflation Reduction Act? Yeah, it's such a good question, Jen. And I will still maintain Medicare is a huge market, a significant payer, and a huge revenue driver for all stakeholders in the health industry. So because this is a very competitive marketplace, you still need to produce products and services to remain competitive. I'll leave it at that right now because I think we could go down a rabbit hole on that one. But I would say I As I think about unintended consequences or outstanding questions, I'm going to turn my attention to the plan side of things, the payer side of things, and talk a little bit about how government markets, Medicare in general, has been a highly popular space for health plans to really double down into over the last couple of years. I mean, we've seen, you know, the likes of Humana actually walk away from the commercial market to put all of their effort and energy into Medicare Advantage. So I think about Medicare as being a really attractive, lucrative market. Then you couple it with some of the provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act that now start to reduce some of the out-of-pocket sharing that occurs from members and what that impact may have on health plans that have to find some way to fill that gap. As I think about that and think about some of the economics of Medicare, The program still remains very attractive for health plans. I think it just starts to challenge whether health plans need to be and payers need to be thinking 
even more broadly about government markets as a whole through either partnerships, alliances, acquisitions, and or organic growth to step into the Medicaid program, to maybe step into VA, DOD, and CHIP, and all of these other areas that represent government markets, just to kind of make up for some of the stressor that's going to be placed on Medicare as a top revenue channel for many health plans. So I guess the question is still a question. How does that out-of-pocket capping actually start to impact the way that health plans need to think about not only designing their Medicare Part D benefit structure, but then thinking forward a little bit and thinking about how they start to deal with the Medicare Part B piece of this in 2027? And then what other government markets may help offset some of those changes that are appearing very quickly within the provisions of the IRA? Wow, Mindy, I'm so deep into the life sciences world here at Dynamic. I hadn't really thought about the potential impact to Medicare or health plans that this legislation has just beyond potential cost savings, right? From my thinking, I was you know, negotiation means lower costs for them. That's probably better for their bottom line. But looking at what you've just explained there, I can see that there's some really big changes that these companies are grappling with as a result of this legislation. And it has me thinking about, you know, what other corners of healthcare might I not be thinking of being impacted by this legislation? What are you seeing in terms of potentially on the horizon for providers even as a result of this? Yeah, well, I think as we start to look at how the provisions play themselves out and in 2027, right now that the tent kind of opens or expands to start to include Part B drugs, which are normally physician administered, the impact, right, is going to be that those physicians, clinics, organizations in the provider world that rely heavily on physician administered products, right, as a almost like a revenue stream within their their organizations are going to feel the pinch because by that time we'll be up to 35 products that are identified. And, you know, without knowing exactly what those products are, you know, under part B, we know that biologics are typically physician administered and that there will be some sort of association with that. So I think from a provider lens, you know, right now it may not be front and center, but it will get here quick enough. The other thing that's on my mind, right, is the intermediaries and that money maze that exists and how complex it is because there's so many benchmarks within the health system and this rebate world that we watch all the time when it comes to the interaction with payers, PBMs, and manufacturers. And we haven't even touched on that. And what does that possibly look like in the next couple of years? Does the efforts to try to reduce price actually then set up a discussion around how to address the gross to net issue that has been plaguing life sciences organizations? Does it start to erode the rebate model? I don't think we know yet, but I do think it's an area that we should pay attention to because we do know that life sciences manufacturers are oftentimes rebating a very high percentage of of the price in which they are charging, and that ends up getting coursed through the rest of the system. So, I mean, those are just some of the things I think about, but I'm curious from your lens and working so heavily in life sciences, 
what are you seeing clients consider right now? Or what do you think they should be considering when it comes to being really Inflation Reduction Act ready? It's rare that I'm in the hot seat, Mindy, as the host. I think it's really looking at your portfolio and your payer mix, right? Not only for your currently available products, but you know, even for the, the target mix for what is in your pipeline and doing a deep analysis of, you know, where do you think that you have potentially products that are going to be tagged soon, potentially for negotiation based on Medicare spend or forecasted Medicare spend in the future and looking at what does that mean for my strategy for your current portfolio? How do I need to de-risk in the current moment where I'm not putting potential profits at risk in the short term, but I'm keeping an eye on that longer term to make sure that we have the right viability and maybe a different life cycle management strategy than was initially conceived when the product came to market. And then for your pipeline, I think it's really pulling the long game forward as you're planning for development, planning for launch, more so than ever keeping that value thought top of mind. And whether that is in evidence generation, whether that is in potential launch price, whether that is in thinking about the sequence of markets or the sequence of indications, still going through that value estimation exercise that you go through to get to your initial price, your initial contracting strategies, of course, and to have successful uptake at launch, but changing the parameters that maybe you used historically instead of using that traditional loss of exclusivity gate in lifecycle management, thinking about that price negotiation window as a key driver for triggering different pieces of your strategy. We had Dean McAllister on from Indizio Biotech just a couple of weeks ago. And as you were talking through this, the one word that continues to pop into my mind, right, is narrative. How do you tell your story in the face of a really changing regulatory landscape when it comes to this policy? So so much to do. And I think the time to start doing it is now. We know that a lot of organizations sometimes hope that things will change. And as we've seen through the years with the Affordable Care Act, there's a lot of twos and fro's from the judicial side of that legislation. And for this Inflation Reduction Act, the provisions are much more compressed. And so the time to really start digesting them and then moving forward with a plan of action can't be delayed too long because next year we'll be here before you know it. Gosh, Mindy, I think you and I could probably talk about this for hours, but we are pressed up against time. So thanks for coming on and chatting with me. It's great to get a chance just to catch up on news. We don't always get to do that. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.